Welcome to The Systemic Way. In today's episode, we are talking all about single session therapies, which is a method practice and known worldwide by an increasing number of mental health professionals. It is not a single approach, but a set of practices and mindsets all aimed at the same goal, to make every single encounter with our clients responsive, efficient and effective. Today, we have three very special guests with us, and that is Flavio Canistara, Katie Stevenson, and Jeffrey Young. Flavio Canistra is co-founder and co-director of the Italian Centre for Single Session Therapy and the ICNOS Institute, a school of specialization in brief systemic strategic psychotherapy. He has published articles on brief therapy in international journals and has been a conference speaker in Europe, the United States, Australia and Japan. Katie Stevenson is a family and systemic psychotherapist working in a CAMS team in the UK, Dorset. She has worked predominantly with children and young people and their families, carers and significant others for over 20 years. She is incredibly passionate about offering services and treatment at the right time and preventing crisis intervention. Jeff Young is Emeritus Professor at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. He is a clinical psychologist and family therapist who has worked, published and presented in the area of mental health for over 38 years. He was director of the Bouvery Centre, the world's largest specialist family therapy centre between 2009 and 2022. Jeff's interests include single session thinking, chronic conditions, blame, family grief and mental illness, indigenous health and well-being, contextually compassionate health services and how to implement them. He has co-edited two seminal texts and two special editions of the ANZJFT on single session therapy. With his colleague, Pam Rycroft, Jeff created the first self-paced online learning suite for single session thinking. What a privilege it is for us, Judy, to have these three esteemed members of the single session therapy community talking to us about their work. And yeah, I mean, what stuck out for me was they're kind of just bubbling enthusiasm and excitement um, about this way of working and and the hope that this this way of working is picked up not only by people who call themselves single session therapists, but anybody who's working therapeutically with people to be able to take some of these ideas and hold them in their work. Because any any session could end up being a single session, you know, and this idea that this might be the only time I might see this family and how I might maximise and make the best use of our time together. What's something that stuck out for you, Julie? Thanks, Cesar. Uh, I feel like for me, it was the the possibility of a single session um, with a family, the invitation to sort of rethink your introduction with with families and what could be possible. Like you said, just like if you only have this moment of, of time with them what does that do in terms of how it might in, inform you in in a session um, and they really sort of break that down actually into a really helpful process at how to attend to that because they're not saying that it, it will just be the session but just the possibility so I think that's that's one of the things that really stood out for me as well as their sort of passion for it because you absolutely can um, see feel hear 
what is possible with with having that type of mindset going into to work and what that might mean in terms of transforming services going forward so I'm sure and I hope people will get a lot out of listening is there anything else you wanted to add Cesar? Yeah uh, we should um, highlight that there is a fourth international symposium about to take place and that starts on the 10th of November this year and that's in Rome in Italy um, so it's not too late for people to join I think it, it's a hybrid um, symposium they're doing this year so some people online and and some people on face to face so we will put a link in the chat and that symposium is called single session therapies what why and how single session mindset and practices are effective efficient and excellent so do check it out and do check out their work and we hope you all enjoy the conversation today Welcome to The Systemic Way. We've got Jeff, Flavio and Katie. And of course you, Cesar. So it's great to have you all here. Um, I guess what might be good and a nice place to start, because we've got three guests today, is just to hear from the three of you about how, how you know each other, how you met, what brings you together with us. Yeah, so I initially met Jeff when I was training. Um, so I'm British, but um, I lived in Australia and um, worked in Australia. And I was fortunate enough to do be sponsored and do my training in family therapy at the Bouverie Centre through La Trobe University. And Jeff was the director um, at the Bouverie Centre. And he introduced single session um, in my, as part of my training. Um, and Flavio, I, I met briefly um, at the single session symposium in 2019 that was held in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I met uh, Katie, obviously, then when she was a student at Bouverie and also Flavio came and visited the Bouverie Centre. So we had some one-on-one time together, which was great. And then in the, uh, the symposium in 2019, which was the third international single session and walk-in services uh, international symposium that was run was back in Melbourne. We did the original one in 2012. I think the second one was in Banff. Uh, and now Flavio is uh, hosting the, the fourth international single session conference. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And uh, well, we're not the first to hangle, so I'm the last hangle of the triangle. And we know exactly where I am. Uh, I've been training with Jeff at the Burris Center um, after being trained with Michael Hoyt in California. I'm from Italy. And um, I met Cathy in, uh, in Australia at first. And then I invited her and, of course, Jeff to, to the symposium. Thank you. Thank you for introducing yourselves. Um, we're, today's episode is talking about single session therapy and we're really interested in hearing the different approaches you all may have but also your journey into working in this way and and then us having the opportunity to really dig into some of the the core ideas and principles of single session therapy I think it would be useful for us um, and maybe for our listeners to get a bit of an understanding of what is meant by by single session therapy and we could probably do a whole episode on the definition, it seems, from, from, from my reading around the subject. But 
yeah, it would be really useful to have a bit of an overview of what what how how might you define or describe what a single session therapy means? I might start. It's Jeff. Um, I wrote a chapter in 2015, which, and in that, what I said was that uh, trying to define it, it's a tricky thing to define, but uh, I suggested that it's everything clinically that comes from accepting three research findings and also what comes organisationally from accepting those three same research findings. And the three research findings is the first is that the most common number of sessions that clients have in psychotherapy, all forms of psychotherapy, um, no matter the severity or complexity of the presentation or the modality of the therapy is one, followed by two, followed by three. So it's the mode, not the average. The second research finding and these research findings to the uninitiated are really quite shocking and challenging, um, which is what I, I think I love about single session therapy. It's a simp- simple idea in some ways, but incredibly and profoundly challenging to the way we work and thought about uh, psychotherapy. The, the second research finding is that around 75% of clients who have one session and drop out after that session when they followed up, report that that one session was sufficient and they're happy with that one session. The third research finding, which sometimes is the almost the hardest for people to, or professionals to get their head around, is that you cannot tell, you cannot predict who's going to come once and who's going to come back for more sessions. And so... If you accept those three research findings, it'll mean different things for different people depending on their clinical approach. But clinically, it essentially means that you're going to approach that first session as if, and that's a really important little phrase, as if it's the only session that you're going to have together. You make that overt with the client. You take that sort of thinking or mindset into the session and it has a whole ramifications um, where you basically find out what people want to work on in that time. You make the most of that time um, usually. Well, you make the most of that time by seeing what people want to achieve by the end of the session, even if it's a good start in a complex process, and you respond to trying to get them what they want. Um, organizationally, then it means that you don't put up a whole range of steps before having a therapeutic session where you're going to try, your clinicians are going to try and get the most out of that session. And then importantly, you have no impediments for people finishing up after that one session if they're happy, but also continuing on if they feel that they need more. So that's my long-winded, simple explanation. Uh, I, Flavio, I like um, two uh, definitions of single-session therapy. One is uh, from Jeff, actually. Uh, So, Jeff, please help me if I uh, don't quote to you exactly. 
um, Jeff said in a chapter um, that single session therapy is a service delivery model. Mm. Yeah, which is a great definition because it's a way in which you can deliver psychotherapy, deliver uh, mental health care. And it's very different to say that it's an approach. Um, and the second is by Michael Hoyt, with um, another chapter, I think in the book of uh, 2021, said that uh, single session therapy is basically a mindset, a way to, uh, an, an attitude, um, a, a set of beliefs and behaviors that help you, the therapist, to create an interaction with your client or clients that helps to maximize that encounter, which means, as Jeff said, um, helps to realize the chance that one session can be enough for the client. Enough for the client, it's important because that's not means that in one session you help the client to solve the problem. It can happen sometimes. Sometimes it's just impossible because if you have, I don't know, fear of flight with airplanes, what well, you have to take a plane to a, a, a flight, an airplane to see if the problem is solved. But for the client, that session could be enough. It can say, well, I think that now I have the resources, the strategies, the confidence to take a flight, to try. And so the mindset is something that helps you to create that with the clients. Yeah, and I mean, as Flavio and Jeff have both said there in terms of, um, and, and Jeff's paper is um, really good at in explaining single session in terms of the approach, the philosophy. And as, as both Flavio and Jeff were speaking, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the work that I've done in the UK as well. And, and it's really about the culture as well in terms of how we work with, um, individuals and families, um, particularly in child and adolescent mental health, um, settings at the moment, um, which is quite different. It's a bit of a shift in terms of mindset as well, um, in how we offer single session. Um, and it is about being pers person-centered, so client-led. Um, there are, you know, goals that you collaborate with the person, with the family. Um, and it's rather than having the expert stance, it's more the, around doing it with the family as opposed to two. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank. Well, thank you all of you and I'm sort of drawn in my head I want to ask some questions about the mindset because I think you were talking about that but I wondered before we get there um I'd love to hear just from each of you about what is your sort of why you were drawn to single session therapy why you know obviously you're here today to talk about it what about it sort of resonates so strongly with you Yeah, for me, um, it was back in the uh, about 1994, um, and 
just finding this this research was sort of so back then it was sort of so confronting um and it's, and when we were started um doing the work it just led to a sense where we were felt like we were in a session we were rolling up our sleeves leaning forward and saying what is it that you want to get achieved by the end of today and that that created a real energy um but it also created a real um transparency and uh openness one that clients would say what they want and that we would work on it and that we could um rather than just build the relationship that there which was sort of standard in those prior to single session build the relationship in order to do the work the next or the third or the fourth session we actually did that very quickly compressed it really quickly and started the work immediately and clients interestingly um whilst our colleagues were really uh reacted quite intensely and often really angrily <laughs> that thinking that we were suggesting that we should provide less services to clients but clients never complained they were actually relieved that the therapist was getting down to business after being friendly initially and engaging in the business and consulting them at every stage about what they wanted to work on how they wanted to work on it what would they want to walk away with at the end of the day is this what they're hoped for is this helpful have i got it right and over time what i particularly I, i really love that checking in so rather than thinking that you had to do all the work in your head to think what the client needs all of a sudden we did a very simple thing and started to say is this helpful are we on track um and we found the clients started to be very uh, so much more active in co-designing the direction of the of the work and then towards after a while what we what i really loved was this um framework in which as a therapist i could share what i thought in an open and direct and uh way rather than trying to hold back and build a a, 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 a persuasive argument over a series of sessions i would share what i really thought um in a tentative way and i'd also be able to um provide any thoughts and advice really up front and directly and what we sort of started to realize when we asked clients that they've had counseling before and if it was helpful or not and when it wasn't helpful around that time the mid 90s um when family therapy felt like the solutions should come from the client it shouldn't come from the therapist the most co- one of the most common complaints about previous work that wasn't helpful was almost verbatim uh, the therapist asked lots of questions but they didn't give me any advice and so this actually opened up a 
a sort of a mix of postmodern and modernist thinking in some ways, where the postmodernist was, what is it that you want? What do you want to walk away with? And the modernist was, look, can I be really upfront and, and share what I really think? Um, and clients love that interplay. Um, and if you ask, most clients actually really wonder what their therapists really think of them and think what, and really wonder what they think you should do. And it's not, this is the solution or this is the right way. It's like guided, guided by the single session thinking that if I'm never going to see this client again, what would I want to share with them? Then you share everything. Um, and because it's, Early on, it's like co-developing a hypothesis and a solution. They can say, yeah, and, and especially say, tell me if this sounds right or if this would be used. It invites them to say, no, nah, that doesn't actually fit. Whereas if you use three sessions to build a hypothesis, you're so attached to it and you've worked so hard, if the client sort of rejects it, all of a sudden you feel they're being defensive and you criticize and you're quite and, and work as therapists we're really quite narky because our their our hypothesis and our solution wasn't enacted immediately sorry i've gone on a bit but um you can see i was quite passionate about it Ooh. Yeah. great to hear jeff like your passion and you know i think you've really inspired so many in terms of the work that you've done um in lots of areas and for me personally in terms of the mindset I think as you're speaking I'm just you know reflecting and thinking about um you know as when you actually are live in a session and you witness it for yourself is it then that you realize how effective it is and and hearing that feedback from families like you say empowering them collaborating with them you know we're giving them the agency um and autonomy, which for a lot of people they've not had, they've sometimes been defeated by the system, disempowered by the system, often let down by the system. And I think this gives them a real opportunity to feel more um, in control and um, able to kind of, um, you know, acquire the tools and resources within and externally that can assist them in that moment, which I think is incredibly powerful and it's amazing to witness. Um, also, I, I guess in terms of reflection, so often when we've carried out sessions, we've done, ref we've had a reflective team in the, in those particular sessions. And Jeff, you mentioned about people, um, the clients often feeling quite, um, a lot, a lot of the comments and feedbacks we've received is around us going there, go, going to the problem immediately or being able to be transparent about what it is, like almost giving permission, which people really value. And they say, you know, we've sometimes been in, been involved with services for so long and we've still never really talked about what the problem is, whereas this allows us to be really open and transparent. Um, and by checking in as well, we're being really sensitive. We're modeling that sensitivity about them being really important and part of the solution. Um, and also, I think, you know, with the feedback we've got as well, is that parents, families, children, they love, they love this. They feel really, you know, they walk away and they genuinely feel empowered to make a difference at the therapeutic kind of um, tools and resources that, you know, the, the tangible ideas they can go um, forward with 
in in their lives and they feel quite comfortable about you know um doing that yeah uh i found very interesting and amazing jess and katia's answer um I started to be involved in single session therapy in a period of my life in which I was very interesting, very interested in uh, realize how to help people uh, quicker in a very brief way. I was trained in um, strategic therapy, the uh, evolution of the MRIs model. And uh, so uh, I really... I, I, in that period, I was searching for brief therapies, uh, approaches uh, outside uh, of Italy, and brief therapies experience after I, of Italy. I was involved in. I, um, I've read the at the time the Talmont's book, single session therapy. Uh, there was an Italian translation, but I thought that um, uh, everything was just died with that book I, uh, in Italy. Nobody knows something about single session therapy uh, after that book, and um, so I um, I strained a contact with Michael Hoyt, and I realized that single session therapy was uh, everything but style. It was still sound and alive, and um, um, my. What helped me to fall in love with synthesis therapy was the idea that it's something very, as Jeff said, something very easy. For easy, I mean that there is not a complicated structure that try to organize the experience of the clients and uh, that try to uh, give a um, psychopathological explanation of how problems work, of how humans work, of how change works. Uh, in our book, we say it's a method. It's not an approach. It's a series of, um, let's say, guidelines that shows that help to create that interaction I said before. It's it's easy. It's a framework, another framework, a framework. Um, and, and this is very important to me because sometimes I have the feeling that we still at this in the present we still uh being stuck in theories like truths. But that's the truth, that's the theory that works. Even now that constructivism and constructionism are epistemologies that are, um, let's say in English, uh, shared from many approaches. Um, a single session therapy, it's one of this framework, another of this framework, but it's, can we say, the, the simplest, the first step, as Jeff said, Let's share some talks. Let's share some feedback. Let's ask to the client his her feedbacks about what he her feels, not uh, without leading her to a path that my theory previously 
uh, build. And let's see what's happened. And if she said, uh, if she says, um, yeah, one session could be enough. Let's assume, as Jeff said, uh, that uh, could be enough. The worst thing that can happen is that after one, two, three weeks, one month, six months, she call you back and say, oh, no, it wasn't enough. The good thing could be that as we um, surprisingly um, find in our research of uh, 2020, that uh, some will call you back for another problem. Oh, that's problem? It's not more a problem. I saw that. Oh, I see that in a, another way. But now I know how psychotherapy works. I didn't know that. And, and this is important. There is um, a, a thing, sorry for my English, called uh, unexpressed help sick, which is every, everywhere in the world. And you have to know that around 60 to 90% of people which can uh, have a benefit, some kind of benefit from uh, psychotherapy, from mental health care, uh, will never arrive to a psychologist or psychotherapist or social worker. And one of the reasons is that they think uh, it costs too much, it lasts too much, uh, or uh, my problem is not a psychotherapy problem. But with a single session therapy, they can say, uh, I tried just one session, and they can see that it's simple, it's easy, it's not a, um, I think this is the way that, this is the reason uh, why in a stepped care, single session therapy often is the first step. Let's try to see what we can do in the easiest way, in the easiest way possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those are the main topics that um, involved me in uh, approaching the single session therapy. Thank you. It's, it's generating so many questions. Sorry. I know. It's hard to know where to go, isn't it, Cesar? There's so many places. I'm going to hand it back to you, though. I'm sure you'll take us somewhere good. <laughs> um, I'm really interested in understanding the mindset. Uh, I, where my head's at is kind of thinking about the service delivery, uh, uh, single session therapy as a service delivery model, which we could come back to because I'm really interested in the different contexts, actually, with Australia, Italy, UK. Um but I think really I'm talking about the mindset and what are some of these kind of core ideas, core principles that's needed in this in this kind of mindset shift or within the psychotherapist to hold in mind when when they're working in this way. Flavio and uh, Michael Hoyt have done a lot of work um, uh, and sort of introduced the idea of the single session mindset. Um, I think it's in a simple way, it's how would you approach a session? One, if you knew that one session could be helpful and may be sufficient in itself. And two, if you, and you shared this with the client, assumed that this was going to be your last session. How could you, how would you approach it to be as helpful as you could in that one session? And again, organizationally, and, and you, you need to be able to offer, as Flavio suggested, another session if people need it. 
but yeah, I think that leads, and Flavio will, I'm sure, take it uh, further in terms of what he's thinking about. Uh, I, I did, um, I, I did, I, I read an article for a journal and about a single session therapy mindset. Um, it was very challenging. So um, I, uh, I, I, I find a trick to write that article that was to uh, go to study what other people, other others like Jeff, Katie, and other others um, think about uh, single session therapy mindset. And then um, put together all these talks and, uh, and write an article. So that's my article, but that, that is uh, their, their, their talks, that are their talks. And um, I found, uh, um, of course, I found 14 principles. I, I don't want to uh, tell all the 14 principles. I don't want to be boring. Um, of course, those are my interpretation of um, the elders' talks about mindset. But it's nice to see that um, different elders shares uh very similar ideas about um, principle of single session therapy mindset, about what is needed to make a single session therapy possible before any techniques. Uh, during uh, our workshop, uh, and I, I probably could say also during uh, Burry's workshop and also during Michael Hoy's um workshop um i say and i saw that um to the participants that um it's not very difficult to learn how to do single session therapy uh talking about techniques or uh, practical guidelines especially if you are an experienced um um practitioners, even if there is um, a but, but I will tell about the but later. Uh, it's What is difficult is to put yourself in the right mindset. And in fact, the but is that the most experienced clinicians um, have more difficult to put themselves in a single session mindset. Mm. Because maybe they, they think, oh, but this is, um, I don't know, uh, uh, anorexia. A single session can't be uh, useful. Yeah, but that's because you are thinking in terms of anorexia or in terms of uh, long-term therapy. You are not thinking in terms of, let's see what the client wants. As I said before, previously, um, a thing that we can do is to help the client solve the problem. Another thing is give to the client um, a space in which it can be listened, um, a strategy, uh, a first step. Uh, so some of those principles is that, of course, one encounter can be enough. You approach with this idea, as Jeff said, that uh, let's work as if 
this encounter, this session could be enough. Another very interesting is that the therapist can have an active role. And as just said, an example is you therapists that share your ideas. Don't limit yourself to listen to the client. Another, of course, as Katie says, single session therapy is that is a person-centered method approach mindset. So um, a very important principle is that people have resources useful to uh, stay better, to solve the problem. Uh, Michael Hoyt loved to say that the most common number of um, sessions in psychotherapy is not one, it's zero. And it means that uh, we basically solve our problem just by ourselves most of the time. So let's look in the client, with the client, in the person, with the person, what are um, his resources. Let's talk about Let's talk about how those resources can be useful. In fact, another principle is that the client is the expert of his life. You are a therapist. You are the expert of the process because it's not like a chat with a friend. It's a structured um, interview, a structured talk. So you are the expert of how to structure this talk. But you are not the expert of the client's life. Yesterday I was talking with uh, a friend, and I was saying, and I, I, I was saying, uh, all the diets. We're talking about diets. All the diets works. The problem is when the the physician uh, give you a diet that don't work for you. And uh, another um, uh, principle, and then I stop because we are one third of the. The journey, um, the five is that you can use different methods. This is very interesting. You can find research on single session therapy based on, uh, I can say, uh, every kind of approach. Uh, I found a research about single session psychodrama therapy or with uh, he, him, the her, or with strategic therapy or solution therapy, CBT, of course. Um, and sell the home. So you can use your clothes. Just put it on a structure that helps your clothes to better fit to the purpose that one session can be enough. Yeah. The other thing that just listening to you, Flavio, that um, I was reflecting and sort of changed in our sort of mindset over the time, um, in addition, is almost generate creating a, a buddhist-like non-attachment to an outcome that you might have someone with incredibly severe and complex problems and a and a traditional mindset would be oh that's tricky that's going to we're really going to have to have lots of sessions to be helpful and sometimes that's correct and then sometimes that person you start you know the first of and imagine 20 sessions and they don't show up for the second session and you think oh god i had a great plan for the 20 sessions and then they didn't show up um and then you can have a session in a single session with someone with really complex problems you ring them up um 
wondering what will happen or thinking you know that they'll need another session. And they say, oh, look, actually, we've really addressed our drinking problem and, you know, that was really helpful. And you can, and it, initially it blows you out of the water. Um, but the other happens too. You sort of say, oh, that was a fantastic single session. It wasn't a very serious problem. Um, um, I'm really looking forward to this phone call because they'll say, look, that was great. We don't need your help. And they'll say, oh, look, we're wondering if we can make another appointment next Thursday. So it made us over time just go in with a total open mind and non-attachment to an outcome. And certainly, and this is really hard to do for, and for especially the senior th uh, experienced therapist, to break the nexus between severity equals long more sessions. Mm. There's some research to show that if anything, it's the an inverse relationship. Now, I, I sort of in my workshop say it, we've all probably got client uh, friends who are in psychotherapy, you know, weekly psychotherapy, and you think of the level of problems that they have, and then we've got people that are homeless and it, it got a huge range of complex problems and that they're not going to be interested in long-term therapy. So severity and number of sessions is, is just, yeah, the, the research and exp especially experience has shown that um, uh, it's an inverse relationship, if any, and that change and then hence change in the role of the therapist in, in clients' change is can be um, somehow there's lots of other factors like the common factors research have, have shown that leads to change. Thanks, Jeff. Katie, I, I don't know if there's something that you wanted to add. I mean, there's so many things I'd, I'd mm. love to add um, in terms of, I'm just thinking of uh, the UK's position right now and, and the demand on services and um, the lack of resources and how a lot of clinicians are feeling quite deflated and defeated by um, how to to attend to some of the difficulties that you know we're are presenting and and how do we get through um, waiting lists and people being on waiting lists for a long period of time and I guess um, in terms of and sometimes that can affect mindset because it can make people feel like you know there isn't any other kind of ulterior kind of um, method or approach and single session can the title as I've had many conversations with Jeff before um, can sometimes evoke uh, negative connotations about what it actually means and what it stands for. And I, I, actually, interestingly, you know, even writing an article, sometimes people can still misinterpret what single session is. Um, and I think it's just really important that we hold on to the idea that it is possible, that there are possibilities that if we intervene at the right stage, that we can make a difference. Um, and actually a lot of the clinicians who I've worked with and introduced this way have been re-energized and it's given people a lot more, um, yeah, you know, energy and, uh, and it's kind of ignited some of the, the clinicians, um, passion and interest in, in the work. And, and I think that's really important because right now, um, you know, as I've mentioned, it is quite a difficult time for many in the public sector. Um, and for families, you know, ultimately with that mindset, um, shift, we are seeing a lot of positive outcomes as a result. And that's not coming from us. That's coming from them. 
And so I just wanted to mention that because I think it's really important from a UK perspective how absolutely beneficial single session can be. Um, and I think if we begin to kind of try and help understand what single session philosophy is and how it does align with our values and our principles in our training, whatever discipline we're in, it could really be useful for many reasons, for many factors in, our, in the work that we do. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah, I think the, the, yep. the great work that um, uh, Katie's doing in child and adolescent work really shows the value of single session or why single session is starting to be really picked up now because um, with the ageing population and the effects of COVID, the uh, demand on mental health services and psychotherapy services have grown uh, so extensively that they're, they're now overwhelming. And I'd even say that the a, a, a community is becoming less stigmatised about mental health problems, so they're, are more likely to um, seek help. Um, and they're also, so, so you've got more people, like at least 30% through COVID, um, greater demand because there's less public money because of the ageing population. We can't just keep expanding services. So there's got to be a change. Um, and we've also got an educated population that wants services when and where they want it and high quality. So what do you do? Um, and single session can provide some options. Uh, and there are options that managers like because you get greater throughput and clients like because they get more responsive, immediate sort of help. And the research is showing that for when an immediate therapeutic, active therapeutic encounter is done really early on, like I think Katie was just telling me the other day, you know, it's sort of 80 odd percent of clients are finding that one session enough. We've got an online walk in service. So it's done online as families, uh, a one off session, they can come back if they want. It's like 82% of the clients are finding one session's enough. And so that then is starting to relieve and, and address that over that demand. I've got a colleague in um, Murray Bridge in, in Australia who introduced Susan Fuzzard, who introduced walk-in single sessions and uh, had a, a long waiting list and after about six months was looking for clients. So. Um, I think it's come of its age because of people are struggling and wondering what to do with this, you know, demand that can't be addressed. Um, what's sticking out for me is this: this hearing the kind of um, the stories of this mindset shift and this kind of um, some of the pushback you might have got, or, or, or some professionals have in, in saying, "Oh, this." This is not for them or doesn't fit within their approach. And that's that's one thing there. And I I, I get that. Um, I'm also interested in how some of the kind of how this can demystify psychotherapy for clients and their the discourses that people have around being a you know being a patient in the psychotherapy and the idea that psychotherapy is a longer-term piece of work or or even these like. I mean, I, Julie and I also both work in CAMS and 
in England and it is very much you get six sessions and a real review and you know we kind of as professionals get we can get stuck in that but also clients might internalize some of these ideas of how psychotherapy is supposed to be so I'm just wondering from your experience in how some of this work helps demystify and, and break some of those narratives around psychotherapy oh, I think it's isomorphic isn't it like we we're in a very traditional kind of um set up an arrangement that's been you know um embedded for years so naturally as uh, you know in the UK naturally as um patients we do kind of expect what um has been provided over time I think it's only a matter of um us maybe being more open to different ideas and solutions to how we can um meet these growing needs um that we will start to maybe make a difference in an, in in how um, services offer um, treatment. Does that make sense? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, therapy is a socially ambiguous process for for uh, clients. You know, for example, can clients ask about the therapist's background? Can they ask questions? Can they direct it? Can they sort of say, "I don't agree with you"? Can can they reject a hypothesis or like it's really unclear and when you try and explain therapy in a more traditional way we tend to go in very vague euphemisms like sort of saying oh therapy's a process you have to sort of wait and see and people say can you can you help my partner stop gambling oh well we can't quite do you know we have to sort of understand like we get very vague um, like George Orwell, lovely, you know, a great uh, English writer sort of said when the politics um, don't fit uh, with the com- consumers that um, our language becomes very vague and woolly. And I think that happens for, with us therapists when we're put on the spot about change. And But single session actually does allow you to explain the process quite clearly. For example, you say, well, we're going to try and get as much done as we can in today's session. I'll ask you a lot of questions. I want to know what you want and I'll check in from time to time and then I'll share my thoughts with you and you can tell me what fits or not. Um, and then if you want more sessions, you know, you know, 50% of clients find one session enough, 50% want more, either's fine. Um, if you, um, we'll, But we'll see how you go. And you can put things into practice after the session and I'll give you a call in a couple of weeks or whatever suits and see where you want to go from there. And um, more sessions are fine. Um, but some families find uh, one's enough. Mm. Uh, so you can actually, I found I could actually explain the complexity of therapy more clearly than I could before I knew about single session. And. I I guess for me, the strand that I've been picking up on from listening to this part of the conversation has been around power um, and how the role of power, I suppose, or how single session therapy addresses power. But before I get to that question, I wanted to say, I suppose there's an element, I think, Jeff, you mentioned like Buddhist non-attachment, but also sort of um, there's something about this being the only session that for me is sort of being really present in the moment, which also connects, I suppose, to a Buddhist philosophy. I'm not saying that single session therapy is completely connected to that, but, you know, that's all you've got. You've, you've only got this moment. Um, but and also a non-attachment to our ideas of six sessions or what 
therapy should be of, of trying to take a, a, a stance really of putting the the client the family first what do they actually need rather than what what do we need as as therapists and I, I suppose that's what led me on to thinking um about power um and that was some of my thoughts but then I was also thinking about it in in terms of single session therapy as like a a decolonizing approach as well so those were a couple of my thoughts around power but I'd, I'd be interested for you to speak to how you see single session therapy in in regards to thinking about power interesting um Moshe Tolman and Robert Rosenbaum talk about uh, at one point started using present therapy as mm. a as a name for it because exactly mm. saying what you were reflecting on Julie that you're in the moment and you're making the most of that moment. You're not thinking about the history or necessarily the the, the future. He talks about embodiment, doesn't he, as well? Interestingly, we've, we've, at Bouvery we had a, a, a team that's uh, very interested in trauma work and gradually they've uh, initially a bit reluctant but gradually really embraced single-session uh, therapy and thinking. And trauma-informed practice which really has responded to the powerless sense that a lot of um, clients who've been traumatised often experience in in, in the world and including in therapy. Um, Single session actually fits with a lot of the core principles of trauma-informed practice, which is about transparency. So explaining exactly, like I sort of said, how a session will unfold. So they know what to expect, choice on what to work on and how to work on it, and openness about what the therapist thinks. Because one strong element, uh, if you're suspicious of the therapist, is that you're assuming that they're thinking critical, negative assumptions about you. And if the therapist says nothing, that festers, whether it's true or not. But if the therapist says exactly what they think, including what they think the client maybe should do in a tentative way, with an option to actually criticise and disagree, all fits with the um, some of the core principles of trauma-informed practice. The reason, so I'd say, in a way, it trans it makes the it you know there's always a power you know because therapists are socially you know in a high status position to a client but it does make power issues not that it might talk about it but if things are more transparent and where people have a choice and it's a uh, encouragement for a collaboration a true practical collaboration not just a ethical or a philosophical wish to be collaborative i think that's quite powerful sorry um, yeah, well, thank you. Uh, there is um, a practical uh, guideline, you can call that, um, that I saw in different methods, in different ways to of applying, of um, doing single session therapy. I've seen that from uh, Michael Hoyt's workshop, Moshe Talman's book, um, of course, Burberry's training and others. That is the guidelines of um, asking feedback 
to the client. Um, I just mentioned it before, which is I can tell it's my favorite, um, uh, my favorite guideline, my favorite um, intervention during the session. Is uh, sometimes it seems um, almost an obsession, you know, a compulsion, you know, because um, during our training, sometimes some uh, participants say. Are you asking constantly? Maybe you've seen the, uh, a video or a live demonstration. You you asking constantly. What do you think? What do you think about this? How do you see this? What are your talks about that to a client? And I think that this is probably the most powerful intervention you can use during the, the session for many reasons. One is that it's an active way to use client to discover and use client resources. It's also uh, a way to change the power. As you say, Julie, um, I ask the question, uh, you give the answer. During a, um, a congress in uh, Sofia, I, uh, I saw an interesting intervention, an interesting workshop by um, Plamen Panayatova, I think it's the surname. Um, and he say he was talking about uh, solution focused brief therapy, and um, he was talking how uh, that approach changed the dynamic of psychotherapy because the traditional dynamic is that the client do the question and the therapist give the answer, and solution focused brief therapy gave out the possibility with the um, the therapist do the question. The client give the answer, and uh, you can do single session solution focused therapy or single session CBT therapy. But the use of feedback helps you to help the client to have a, in, a, in a more superficial way to produce uh, her answer, in a more deep way to give her the feeling that is in charge in her life. Um, sometimes the clients say, I don't know. And uh, we teach to our students to say, to answer, suppose you do know, or take some seconds and think about that. Why? Because I don't know often means uh, I never thought about that. And so if with my questions, I help you to talk to something, maybe in a different way, to, to talk to something, to think to something. Maybe you can see, you can attribute meanings, different meanings to the same situation, which I think is one of the results, the big results of every successful psychotherapy. And we two results. One is a change in behaviors. One is a change in belief in how the, the client attributes mean, meanings to the things. The difference is how you help the client to achieve this, um, this changement. There is a, a, a quick case, a quick session I want to report. It's not a single session therapy session, but it's still very interesting. Um, with a client, I write down basically everything she said. I wrote 
uh, a sentence and then ask a question and she gave me another answer. I wrote that answer and then another session and so on. And at the end of the session, I simply read what I, what I wrote. You say that and this means that for you because you say that this means that and so on. And you say this and that and so on. And she, at the end, she said, oh, what she said is amazing. You completely changed my point of view. And I say, oh, but I, I, I didn't say anything because, you know, I've written, I, 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 you, you saw me, I've written what you say. And she said, of course, we're in front of me. But when I was saying those things, I feel um, judgment by, my, by myself and I feel uh, anxiety. When you repeat the same identical things, and I can assure you that I repeat with this tone of voice, not a suggestive tone of voice, I start to think that I don't need to judge myself and I don't need to feel anxiety. And that's a great example for me. So how feedback, how of the clients to see, to say their point of view, their way to give meaning to the world. It's a powerful way to act. I just wanted to add, if that's all right, thank you, Flavio. Just to kind of, um, yeah, talk about exactly what you're referring to there is with the single session approach as well, is that it, there are like some tangible resources to kind of help implement single sessions so you do like a pre-single session questionnaire which is a bit like a tool in therapy we use it as part of therapy so we can like be guided by that so it gives them some power again in terms of you know how the session is conducted um and it is a it is a process and then at the end we often complete a takeaway now that takeaway is like a therapeutic kind of you can call it a therapeutic ending if they're not going to have any further sessions. But what it does enable, what I found with the young people I've been working with and their families, is that often they say they've put it on their fridge, that they refer back to some of the, you know, things that we've discussed in therapy, that we've noticed, that the things that, um, you know, they want to work on, so the actions and stuff like that. Um, I'd actually do mine at the end. I like to think and reflect about what has been dis um, discussed so that it does act as like a therapeutic tool almost um, and that they can refer back to. And often that's something that um, the clients um, love. They love that it's like a therapeutic letter that they can refer to. It's not like one of our traditional kind of CAMS letters, um, but it's something with meaning and power. And it's, it's, it's really, I've found, um, and I'm sure others have too, is um it's quite um it's it's made a noticeable shift and change in terms of how they view things and what they've want that what they've taken away from those sessions too. And are those summaries um co-created with the family or do they do it? Because what I've noticed is when I summarize <laughs> a session, it's very different to what the young person or the family how they might summarize it. So I've yeah. kind of shifted in my practice of letting them lead really and then I might add whereas previously I would probably try to summarize the session and just time's running out I need to kind of pull it all together kind of angst that I, I used to have or probably still have but now I've, I've shifted to asking them to summarize and I'm wondering if that fits with 
Yeah, it, it definitely does, Cesar. And I think that that's, you know, a really lovely idea as well as reflecting back what they've said. Um, but as Jeff has mentioned with the single session model is it does give you permission as well to give you, give them some, leave them with some food for thought as well. So I'm, I'm just thinking of one example. So how do you as a family make time to um, have difficult um, conversations or express difficult emotions? So it's, it's also leaving them with some kind of things to think about as well. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it comes in two parts. It's like the reflective part and then also the actions. So, yeah, definitely. And we've, we've uh, started doing some um, a, a model called Walk In Together, which is uh, families can have a one-off session um, online and uh, we have a, a therapist watching sort of um, as a reflecting team. And whilst they're, you know, they just have their camera off, they do a summary of the session. And then when it comes to do a reflection, that person comes on and reflects with the therapist online about what what the family said and what's happened and puts it in written form um, in the, you know, shares their screen and then gets the family to say whether that's accurate or not and change it and add it. And another component is with the takeaways. I'm, I'm so pleased you're using the takeaways, Katie. We, we developed them like a little doctor's script yeah. um, and used them. Uh, but in online, they actually list down what the, the, what the client said that they'd do and then they would um, edit it. Um, and so they, and that's sent off to them the same day, including any um, resources that might be helpful. So you can imagine that families are able to get into this straight away and they leave with all those resources on the same day. Um, and so the satisfaction rate is extraordinary, um, partly because of that responsivity. Yeah, that's some really good examples and... Uh... I'm thinking about one of it's one of the principles in Flavio in your paper about um, single session therapy is suitable for different contexts and needs. And as I'm hearing you all talk, I'm thinking about my own practice. And when I I work in a school on on one of my days, and we get these referrals from the school saying this kid needs therapy, you know, and it's the school really pushing it, and the, and the kids always are quite ambivalent. They might see me around the school or in the football pitch. So they kind of seen my face and have a bit of comfort of who I am and maybe some curiosity, but really not interested in therapy. So I'm always kind of encouraging them in this spirit. I mean, I've not had these words to it, but this kind of idea of a single session, come see what it's like. Um, let's have a kind of chat about things and you can decide from there. Um, but I've always had this sense of, failure in a way if they don't come back you know because I, I felt like my task was to get them to come back for further sessions um, and maybe I've missed a trick in thinking how could I maximize mm. this so I, I could see it working in that context I, I'm wondering in a family context where there's a lot of conflicts and families might be quite tentative about bringing it all out you know in one session or um, really get into a place of safety where they can say what they want to say about their feelings around whatever's going on in their family. So I'm I'm wondering 
in terms of the different contexts and the different difficulties or issues that you you've worked with in working this way where where you see it to be more to be really effective maybe more challenging um in what kind of context and issues it's being used in I might answer to this if that's okay. So um, what I've been, there's a bit of a pattern and theme that I've noticed in the work that I've been doing in Dorset um, and in Hampshire too. So we're seeing a lot of young people um, and where it's been positioned is where there's been often a spontaneous overdose. Um, And what it's enabled us to do is kind of, you know, gather everybody together. That's, you know, the important people in that young person's life. So really working systemically um, identifying and communicating exactly what the concerns are right from the, the onset rather than, you know, l- leaving it for a few weeks. Um, and it's what I was going to say in terms of, so working, you know, with the family, often what it does as well, if it is potentially only one session, is it, it allows people who might not be able to get there to attend. So, you know, as we know, life is very busy these days. Some parents work, um, you know, long hours and they're not able to attend. Or the idea of having to attend for a number of sessions, is it often puts people off. So what it does do, though, is it, it as I said, it enables everybody in that young person's life to, to be present. And I've noticed how incredibly effective that has been for everybody to kind of collaborate um, and communicate on what the concerns are. And as we've mentioned before, you know, walking away with um, some ideas, some um, maybe new information that they may not have been aware of. um, And it helps to kind of, you know, often people say, what about risk? Well, this, this attends to risk immediately because you're openly communicating with everybody involved um, and you're being able to kind of think about it collectively about what to do hereafter, what sort of strategies, what you might notice, what would be really helpful for that young person going forward and the family. And I have involved schools in that too, particularly when a young person is really struggling in various areas of their life. So, you know, as we mentioned, single session doesn't necessarily mean just a single session. It it can be a process and it can involve the whole system as well as the family. I, I think building on that, um, we found early on, not so much now, but in Australia, the most common asked question in our workshops was who is it appropriate for and who isn't it? And we really struggled because, and so did all of the People in the field, they had their lists originally of what who was suited for for a single session and who weren't. And then in practice, they started screwing up these lists because they didn't fit. And we came out with this a, a, an answer, which was make sure you don't have to ask that question. And by that, I mean um, offer ideally everyone a single session and embedded in your service system. So after that single session, everything that your service can provide might be group work, ongoing therapy, referral to a specialist, a referral for a thorough assessment, a diagnostic assessment, whatever, make sure that that's available after that first session. And so then you don't have to try and, and predict because we were hopeless at it, uh, trying to predict who's going to sort of find one session sufficient and who wasn't. I think in a practical sense, the, the sort of I was thinking what when doesn't it work? And one is when there's so many legal papers that you, you know, you, you've sort of got to read and prepare. And it's like 
it, it can be really tricky just to get anywhere in one session. Um, the other is when some clients, not many, just have a totally strong belief that one session's not enough. You know, they'll, they'll it's sort of come in and, you know, you sort of give the stats and all that and that's not convinced. And so, you know, why fight it? Go with um, further sessions. And then the other, it's sort of a partly a good approach, but a lot of the single session techniques don't work when people are mandated or forced to attend therapy. So the single session questions, which are lovely, which is, you know, what brought you along and what would you like to get out of today and what would you want to walk away with and what what do you think we should start first and is this on track and how do you want to work and is this is this what you want? For someone who's forced or mandated to attend, if they were to be honest, they'd say, oh, we should piss off and just leave me alone. Um, so those and those sort of single session questions, which are lovely, don't work. Um, and I've developed an approach called no bullshit therapy for for those people, which is very much about sort of being more upfront and direct and saying how you are going to work and see if that fits with them. But yeah, that's another podcast. But they're the they're the practical times when I, I felt oh, it's sort of best to um yeah the, the single session doesn't work. I guess as you mentioned there, Jeff, as well is um like what we've noticed that obviously wouldn't work is when there's um, obvious safeguarding concerns. So yeah, that that's when we we don't feel that single session is appropriate. Thinking about family therapy and how um, some of these ideas can get integrated into the kind of core principles of thinking in, in, in family therapy, how might how might family therapy sessions be kind of adapted to include single session approaches? Look, look in some ways, we'd sort of say take the same approach that we would with in therapist with a therapist with any model which is how would you conduct this session if you thought that it was going to be the last? Um, and what happens then, just every modality finds sort of similar sort of core concepts, like we've talked about the mindset. But in family therapy, uh, being a family therapist myself, a dedicated family therapist, um, you sort of slow down and, and don't, you sort of because you've got multiple people in the room and you've got to ask each person what brought them along and what they'd like to walk away with, that takes quite a while. But just in doing that and thinking about what might help, each ask each person what do you think might help achieve what they want and trying to come to some <clears throat> agreement is actually incredibly effective because they all hear each other what they actually want to walk away with by the end of the session and they can negotiate that and work out which they should start with and prioritise it and checking in to see if it's um, uh, helpful and then the therapist sharing their advice to everyone and including if you've got the family therapy expertise, you're pretty good at 
being able to realise there's not one truth. Each family member has a different perspective. There's multi-perspectives and holding them in equal sort of space in some ways. There's so much information sharing um, between the family members. It can be incredibly therapeutic, even though you haven't necessarily gone down, you know, in detail with, you know, each one of those possibilities. Mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, being a family therapist myself, um, that single session is really beneficial in the work that we're doing in CAMS because it enables, as maybe Flavio and and Jeff don't know this, but it enables family therapists, systemic thinking to be at the front line, the front door, as opposed to being referred to us when they're in crisis. So it's really, sorry, allowing um, family therapists to intervene early on to help us work, as we know, children aren't, they, they're not um, indiscriminate. They're part of a whole um, system. And it's really important that we acknowledge that um, sometimes if we intervene systemically at the beginning, how effective that can truly be. And that therefore, we might not necessarily warrant further ongoing sessions. Um, and that's been my experience with doing this work. Um, And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I really believe that family therapists aren't being used or utilised in the the best way we could. And that's being right at the beginning of services. And that's a lovely point, um, Katie. And I've just come across uh, uh, some work um, written up by a a woman called Julie Green, uh, Cream. And... They've developed single session uh, advanced uh, allied health practitioners for uh, children that have developmental and behavioural problems um, and they have a family approach so that they have a session really early on. It's led to the gap between a GP and a referral being accepted from 169 days to 48 days and a referral when it's required uh, to diagnosis from 37 weeks, you know, 57 weeks down to 30 weeks. So having a family approach, which I think us family therapists always feel that it reduces the number of sessions that you have to have and rather than working just individually without that family context. And then a single session approach as well starts to reduce the, the time and, and the, as well as the number of sessions, um, which again is, is much needed at the current demand that can't be satisfied. Single session therapy gives you uh, a structure. You really don't have to change many practical things. Um, if you do family therapy uh, with this on that theory, uh, you can continue to do that. Uh, just have to you just have to um adapt those things that allow you and the client to uh, maximize that session to don't give you the um resupposed uh, that you will need 
another session. Um, if you set that session with the idea, with the mindset, you and the client that there will be a second session, that's a great way to fail a single session uh, therapy. Um, a great way to not have a single session therapy, to not give you the chance to have um, a single session therapy. Um, I think, Flavio, that's why one of the, the you mentioned the the definition, my definition of single session as a service exactly. delivery model rather than a therapeutic model. One yeah. of the real advantages of that is that you can go into a service where you've got therapists from different, working in different modalities. You know, you've got a family therapist, a CBT therapist, a psychodynamic therapist, and there's so much, so many, so much energy is uh, used arguing which model is best, and they can't work together very easily. If you say, and this is why single session therapy is easier, you know, always a bit tricky, but easier to implement than a new model of therapy, because you don't have to give up your um, core modality that you've put so much time, so much effort, so much identity into being. Every everyone can hold, and this is what Flavio is saying. Everyone can hold on to their and still embrace their core therapeutic modality, but all practice in a single session way. So it can be potentially incredibly good for morale and building communication between across a service system with different types, and not only therapists. And this, this is where we've started to um, sort of use single session thinking just to really complicate things um, to say that people, even managers, and you can run and uh, you can run a, um, a meeting or a, an executive meeting using single session thinking, which is what would we do if, if this was our last session or, or what would we want to achieve by the end of today's meeting? Um, uh, how can we help clients in the quickest way knowing that one session may be enough? So it just expands the sort of the mindset, if you like, to outside of the therapy room. I love to be sorry. I should say it also can be used in supervision too. The whole the framework. Um, I know that I've been sharing it with um, fellow colleagues um, and utilizing it in supervision. So it's really helpful when we, you know, when we don't have a lot of time and we really want to maximize that time um, that we've got. So yeah, it's great to use then too. Sorry, Flavio. No, thank you. Um, I love to quote often. uh, Jeff Young work. Uh, Jeff Young is here, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's it's very nice. It's very um, mind blowing. Um, Jeff, I try to re- remember all the correct things, and Jeff goes to this uh, public mental health care. I think a public mental health service, and which have uh, um, very high rate of dropout. And just discovered that they start with, I remind, three sessions uh, doing tests, tests for diagnosis and everything like that. And just say, okay, let's try to start with single session therapy. And then if the client wants uh, a long-term therapy, 
continue with the three session of tests and then with the other session of uh, psychotherapy. And this very simple shift, starting with, with a single session of uh, actual therapy, effective therapy, and then continue if needed with tests, um, help to reduce in a very great way the dropouts. And if I remind well, uh, many people then continue uh, after the three session, complete three test session, because you start with a session that gives them what they want, that set the ground to continue for a long-term therapy if they want of course a long-term therapy. Jeff, do I remind the, the, this example uh, correctly? Yeah, well, certainly uh, um, the CAMS, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services in Australia used to have a four-session assessment oh. and it was very, very thorough. And it makes sense in some ways that if you've got really com kids with really complex issues that a thorough assessment is sort of would be the best way to getting really good service. Uh, until you find out, as one of my... Um, Research students found out that 34% of the clients never reached the therapy. And so then you've got to think, well, actually, that's not terribly, that's not an ideal service. And so then by doing what Flavio is saying is doing the treatment as soon as possible and finding out what clients want and then doing the assessment required in order to get them what they want mm. rather than doing a Rolls-Royce general assessment for four sessions that covers everything, of which you would only use a very small amount in the actual treatment. You change that around so that um, um, you find out what clients want. You still do an assessment, but it's targeted to exactly that particular client in that context with what they want. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, sadly, we've got the time that we've got. And I just I wish I'd mentioned at the beginning. It's amazing. We've got, like you said, Cesar, we've got Australia, Italy, UK here, which has been in incredible. And I know that you've all, like you said, you've met, you work together. It'd be really lovely, I suppose, to to hear just what your future hopes are or what your hopes are for the direction of single session therapy. I represent the UK. <laughs> I think for me personally, um, I'm incredibly passionate about how we are responding to the needs of people in the UK currently, particularly our child um, and adolescents um, and the current climate, you know, post-pandemic, even pre-pandemic. Um, and the, as we know, services were disbanded 15 years ago. A lot of early intervention, sorry, services were disbanded 15 years ago, which has had such a detrimental impact on our young people. Um, and I think in terms of accessing supports and services. So for me personally, I think I'd like to see single session implemented and adopted as, as the first step um, of care in CAM services and not, not necessarily just in CAM services, but in early intervention services so that young people, families have the opportunity um, even if it's once, maybe twice, or maybe ongoing, 
but at least they're getting that opportunity to sit down with somebody and think about their situation and come out with some tangible resources and ideas that um, may help them in the future. Um, uh, I'm very excited for the symposium, the upcoming symposium, of course, because it's uh, the first one in Europe. And um, it's it's important for me because um, recently I was looking for uh, research in single-session therapy, for, uh, was going through a lot of research, and most of the research are from uh, uh, Canada, USA, Australia. And we need a growing, we have a growing interest in Europe, but we still need to uh, set a more solid ground. Uh, even if we have great elders here in um, in uh, uh, Europe, like Wendy Dryden in UK or Martin Soderquist and so on. For this symposium, I wanted to do something that help um, Europe and the international community who have an idea on where we are and where we are going. Uh, so we will have 15 guests uh, where that are old names like um, Jeff Young, Michael Hoyt, even Moshe Talmon, uh, Wendy Dryden, uh, Monte Bobiel, Harnos Live, and um, Katie Stephenson, and uh, also new names that give um, a future direction. The three days will be, uh, will cover, will try to cover uh, theoretical um, issues, uh, practical issues, and also uh, implementation research issues. And, um, and there are also, there is also space for many. Uh, external presentation. Uh, we we will have around 24, 25 people from all around the world that present their work, and um, it, it's very. It, I think we did something very interesting. I hope that we can uh, not to say in English uh, to respect what um, has been the great work that has been done in the two symposium, the two previous symposium in Australia and the one in, uh, in Canada. Um, uh, and it will be, I think it's the first time that it, uh, a symposium, a single session therapy symposium, it's done both in presence and online. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff? No, okay. no that's wrong. Love you. Okay. And um, I, I just close with um, something I've read in a, a systematic review of 10, 10 years ago. I think it's Campbell, Campbell's systematic review, I'm not sure, in which the author uh, said that um, there are many research, not very rig rigorous, but still important. And he said that uh, single session therapy was uh, exiting from his uh, infancy uh, and now I think that 10 years uh, later we can tell that single session therapy with uh, many RCTs, with many systematic reviews, with the first meta-analysis and with the fourth uh, international symposium uh, is centered in the adulthood 
That's great. Thank you, Flavia. We'll, we'll share a link as well to the symposium for people that want to want to join that. Thanks. And, and Jeff. Um, and I'm yeah really looking forward to this uh, international symposium that Flavio's uh, kindly organising. Um, and it sort of links with my sort of uh, dream is that if we keep thinking of it as a service delivery model, people from all different approaches can embrace that service delivery rather than argue which model therapeutic model is better and it'll um, expand to uh, help a broader range of people and this may be a way of simplifying it summarizing it as saying it I hope that it helps us um, make therapy fit clients rather than expect or demand that clients fit our models of therapy um, you know, people don't want to go through four sessions of assessment before they get to the, the treatment. They don't want to have to wait on a waiting list for six months or one year. Um, they want help straight away and they want to be in the driver's seat of what's going to actually help improve their lives and they want to be collaborators on that process. And they want the therapist to give them all that they've got, not not hide, not hold back anything for maybe a potential next session, which may never happen. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I mean, there's so many things on there, Cesar. I mean, maybe we need to have. It would be great to meet with, to meet with you again, and it's been wonderful to sort of talk with you now and to learn more about single session therapy I know I've been really holding it in mind whilst I've been doing the reading um to prepare for this in, in all the sessions that that I've been doing so um, I'm definitely hoping to 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 utilize it more going forward so thank you so much for your time and all of your knowledge can I just make an observation that um, something Cesar said uh, mm. earlier where He'd been working really hard to try and make sure clients come back. Maybe he would change and actually just make the most of that first session. Mm. That That is the shift to a, sing, a single session mindset yeah. in a really practical sort of way. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck with the symposium. We'll see you soon, hopefully. Thank you, Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bye-bye.